ask that you would just bless tonight, that you would uh, bless the teaching of your word as we just look at chapter 19. I pray that uh, we would be still, that uh, we just be free in our minds and in this place from distractions, and Lord, just being able to focus on what your word has to say to us. So we're thankful that we're here, and may our hearts be teachable and ready right now as we study your word, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Chapter 19 of 1 Samuel read, Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David, but Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So we've been introduced to David here in 1 Samuel a few chapters ago in chapter 16. It was Samuel, who is the leader spiritually of the nation, came to the home of Jesse to anoint the new king of Israel. Saul, previous to that, had been uh, appointed as the king of Israel, the first king that Israel had because the people came to Samuel and asked for a king. So the Lord said that Samuel appoint a king. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. And of course, it was the Lord that really desired to be their king. That's why they were called Israel, which means governed by God. But they were always looking for a man to lead them truly. And so you anoint Saul, who was head and shoulders above everyone else. And we saw that Saul, in our study thus far, started out well, but then he began to be self-centered, and he was focused on himself and desired to take the glory away from the Lord. So here we see that what has taken place is the kingdom has been taken from Saul because of his disobedience, because of his rejection of the commands of the Lord. So Samuel told him that the kingdom will be taken from you, Saul, and is going to be given to another who has a heart after you. Thus we saw in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel that Jesse there in Bethlehem was visited by Samuel who would come to anoint the new king of Israel. Jesse had eight sons, and it would be Jesse that passed his first seven sons before Samuel. But the Lord told Samuel, none of these you know, men are going to be the king of Israel. None of Jesse's sons that I've seen. And so Samuel, being a little bit confused, said, do you have any more sons, Jesse? And he said, well, the youngest, he, he's very young. He, he was probably just a young teenager at that time. He's out in the field with the, the sheep. And so Samuel said, bring him here. And of course, the Lord said, that's the one that you are to anoint as new king of Israel. So David was anointed in chapter 16. You move into chapter 17. And of course, that famous story of David slewing Goliath. As David would go and visit his brothers that were in the armies of Israel. And in the valley of Eli, there are the armies of Israel on one side. The Philistines, their army on the other side. They're in battle array. And we know that it was Goliath that came out, that giant from Gath, that giant that was on the side of the Philistines, and issued that challenge to the armies of Israel. Send somebody out to fight me. And if I win, then you guys are going to be our slaves. But if you win, which isn't going to happen, he's probably thinking, then we will be your slaves. In Israel, the, the men, when they heard Goliath for 40 days, twice a day issue that challenge, they trembled, they were afraid, including Saul. And David, who was so young at that time, and it really fascinates me, how as we look at the scriptures, how those who were young, such as Joseph, such as Daniel in the Old Testament, such as David in chapter 17, only a teenager, 
too young to even be in the armies of Israel. His father told him that I want you to go and visit your brothers on the front lines so we can hear news of what's going on and take some food to them. And so that's what David did. And when he heard Goliath issue that challenge, it was David that turned to those guys who were so afraid and he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who is he? Why are you allowing this? Don't we have a cause? And I just want to remind us at this time in our study, don't we have a cause? There's a lot of things that are out there in the world or come against us or we end up facing as Christians. Those who perhaps may uh, you know, persecute us or come down on us or look negatively towards us. And those things that can cause you know, just stress in our life or tribulation or whatever it might be. But don't we have a cause? We have a cause, don't we? To be men and women of the light, to give the truth of God's word, to be able to give gospel message to the lost. And, and that's what we're to be about, to love those that don't know Jesus Christ and have them see the reality of Jesus Christ in our lives as we have God dwelling in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Don't we have a cause? And sometimes we forget that. We do have a cause to bring light and to bring truth to a lost and dying world in the darkness of this world. So David, with full of confidence in the Lord, not in himself, would take a stone and put it in his shepherd's sling. And of course, we saw the story and you know the story that he would slew Goliath. And so David, as we have seen, went from mountaintop to mountaintop experience, being anointed the king of Israel to slewing Goliath. He's very young. It was Saul that said that you're going to have my daughter as a wife and come to the palace and you're going to serve me and you're going to uh, be my armor bearer. And we saw at the end of chapter 16, and we need to keep this in mind as we continue to travel through these chapters, that Saul at that time loved David. He very much appreciated David, but we see that that quickly changed. And I want to remind us that as Christians, it isn't always a mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience. We wish it would be that way. Because as we entered into chapter 18, as we're going to continue through 1 Samuel, that David is going to go through some difficult times now. And he's going to be in the valleys. And I used to think when I was a young Christian, it would be just leaping from one mountaintop experience to the next. And we know that as Christians, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, there are those times where the Lord perhaps just, you, you feel the anointing of the Lord in using you in a special way or witnessing to somebody. Perhaps there are those times where you feel like you had such great victory in, in faith, but then the difficulties can come. And there are those who will come against us and, and pursue us and, because they don't like us because we're Christians. And that's what we're seeing with David here. And in chapter 18, we see that David, who is being used of the Lord, and all of a sudden Saul, who loved David at one time in chapter 16, we saw last week in chapter 18, he becomes envious and jealous of David. David was a great warrior. And as he had delivered Israel from Goliath and the Philistines, he was a great soldier, and, and, and the people were recognizing that God's hand was on David. 
And as David was coming back from the victory, it was the women of the cities there of Israel that would say, Saul has slain a thousand, but David, he has slain his ten thousands. And Saul didn't like that. And Saul became very angry. And we see the progression of what happens when envy, jealousy, bitterness begins to grip our hearts. As Saul, as he began to watch David, he was watching him very you know, suspiciously and, and because he was displeased with David. He was envious and jealous of David. And then we see that Saul was afraid of David and then wanted David dead. But we saw three times in chapter 18 that it was mentioned that David behaved wisely. He behaved wisely in his conduct and his behavior. I think there's some very important lessons as we go through these chapters that I don't want us to miss here, that we can apply in our own lives. Because in verse 1, we see that Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. And we have seen how Jonathan was knit together with David. That is, that Jonathan was Saul's son, even though his father is the king, and even though his father now is having this, this issue with David, it is Jonathan that he loved David. He loved him as a brother. And we saw in our previous study that it was Jonathan and David that made this covenant together and their souls were knitted together. There was a bond that was there. And so Jonathan here, he is, is being recruited by his father and the servants of Saul as well. Hey, join in with me because we need to do away with David. So the first thing that we need to be aware of is this. When you have somebody that you know, that they're envious or jealous of somebody, that you beware if they're trying to recruit you to, to come against that individual. Because they're envious and jealous of somebody. And they're going to come and they're going to try to gather people around them. Whether it is somebody in your family. Whether it is someone in the neighborhood. Whether it's somebody at work. Trying to pull you into, hey, we need to come against this individual. And you know that there's envy and there's jealousy that is involved with that individual. You need to be careful and stay away when somebody is promoting you to do evil. And here Saul wanted to do evil against David, even though David, we see very clearly in chapter 18, behaved very wisely. And we don't want to join in with that kind of thing when somebody does that. And I think in our society that it happens quite often. It happens in our family situations. It can happen in our neighborhoods. It certainly can happen in the workplace. It can happen with a teammate, perhaps. And I talk to the kids about this, those who are playing sports. They be careful when envy and jealousy begins to come into that situation. And don't be joining in with those who are promoting you to come and try to kill their reputation or assassinate their character. One of the things that we see with David is that he behaved wisely. You see a couple things here to think about as we go through this text. Number one is, is that I pray that none of us would come to that point where we ourselves would become envious or jealous of somebody else. Because as we have seen, and what we're going to continue to see, that it is consuming Saul. 
And it takes a lot of energy when you're envious or jealous of somebody. And here Saul twice, twice tried to kill David by throwing a spear at him. Saul tried to put David in a place where the Philistines would kill him. And it didn't work, and God is protecting David. And we're going to see that as David goes through this time of difficulties and trials and tribulations, that the Lord is going to show him some very important lessons. He's going to grow David. And, and we're going to see that in the Psalms that David wrote. And as we go through these chapters that are ahead of us, we're going to look at some of those Psalms that David wrote as he said, Lord, you're my protector. You're my provider. You're my fortress. You're my strong tower. You're my salvation. You will save me from my enemies. But be careful when there's envy and jealousy. If it's somebody else trying to promote you into that and pull you into that kind of situation where they want to recruit you to do evil against somebody else. And that's what Saul is doing here. I pray that we would be ones that we would not be involved in that. And I pray that we would be ones that we ourselves would not be full of envy and jealousy. That can happen Particularly in our society and in our world, it can happen, as I mentioned, in our personal lives. It can even happen in ministry. It can happen in the church. And unfortunately, I've seen it happen too often. And I just want to say this. There is no reason for any of us to be envious or jealous of somebody else. There really isn't. Because God has a plan for you. And he has a calling for you. And he has a place for you. And he wants to use you. And he has something for you that is unique. And he has something for all of us in the body of Christ. And that, just knowing that, brings such comfort to me to know that, God, you, have a, a, you desire to use me, a plan for me, that you have a calling for my life. I don't have to be looking at everybody else. And you see, that's what Saul was doing. He was looking at David rather than having his focus on the Lord. And when we begin to look at that person, how come I don't have their position? How come I don't have their prestige or their popularity or their personality? How come I don't have what they have? How come I don't have their ministry? You see, even I have to be careful of that. How come I don't have a building like they have? How come I you know, aren't as popular as them or whatever it might be, rather than being content where God has me? So it's very important that that we be careful and on guard against envy and jealousy that can come into our lives. But also, here's the other thing that I want to be, the, um, I want to just carefully emphasize, and I know I'm parking on this a little bit, but I think it's important. The other side of the spectrum is this. When you go through life, and I think a lot of us have experienced this. If you haven't, you might in life. That there might be somebody that comes along and becomes envious and jealous of you. Maybe because God has blessed you. Or maybe because you're doing well at work. Or it might be for another reason. And it's important for us that we let the Lord determine how it is that we are going to behave. And here is David. He is behaving in godly integrity and character and honesty and godly humility. He's desiring what... It, to do what is right before the Lord. And that's my hope and prayer for all of us here at Calvary Chapel, that if we experience that person that is envious or jealous towards us, that my desire, Lord, is not to let them determine how it is that I'm going to behave and act. That, Lord, I'm going to let you determine how I'm going to behave, how I'm going to act, my conduct. How it is that I handle this situation. It's very important for us 
to go to the Lord in those times. And that's what David is doing. And we're going to see that David, he's going to have opportunity, really, to kill Saul. Saul's been throwing spears at David. Saul is going to pursue David through the wilderness for the next 12 years because of his envy and because of his jealousy towards him. And it was David that said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. Lord, I'm, you put Saul in that position of king, and I'm going to let you take him out. But I'm going to behave in a wise way. And three times in chapter 18, we see that it's mentioned that David did that. There was no fault found in David and how he responded to Saul. It reminds me so much of Daniel. It was West that spoke of Daniel in chapter 6. And we know the story of Daniel being cast into the lion's den. And there was Daniel as he had been ministering there in that area of Babylon for 70 years before King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and then later on before Darius, who was the king of the Medes and the Persians. And there was Daniel. He was the right-hand man of the king, of King Darius. And all the other administrators, all the other uh, say-straps and governors came against Daniel. They tried to find fault with him, but they could not find fault with Daniel. So they said, if we're going to find fault with Daniel, it has to be concerning his God. Because Daniel was one, for year after year, through his whole life, would minister and serve with great integrity and honesty. Godly integrity and honesty and character. And so they came to the king. They said, king... We need to make a decree. We think you're so special, Darius, that no one should pray to anyone else, any other God, except for you, Darius, for the next 30 days. And Darius, being buttered up and, and you know, manipulated, said, sure, I'll sign that decree. And it was signed, and they knew that David was going to go and pray to his God. And that's what he did. And David is... is our Daniel is praying there, and they find that Daniel's praying, and he gets cast into the lion's den. But God protected him, and God would bring him out of that lion's den. And we know that God worked mightily for Daniel. You see, a very important lesson that we need to remember that as people perhaps come against you, maybe envy or jealous towards you. They may try to destroy your reputation, but here's the thing that you and I need to remember. Only you can ruin your character, okay? Others may try to ruin your reputation, but only you can ruin your character. And that's what they did with Daniel. And Daniel said, I'm going to stay in that place of being blameless before the Lord. And I'm going to trust in the Lord, and the Lord protected him. And you see, that's what we need to have the mindset of, is, Lord, I'm going to let you determine how it is that I'm going to react to this situation when someone comes against me. It reminds me of Joseph. And I won't go into all the story of Joseph, but Joseph, again, a young man, when he was sold off into slavery, why was he sold off into slavery? Because his brothers were envious and jealous of him. He was thrown into a pit. He was sold to Potiphar, who was a captain of Pharaoh there in Egypt. And it was young Joseph, who was only a teenager, when he went into Egypt. He was, because God was using him in such a mighty way. And, and it was Potter for that, that, that saw him and said, there's something special about you. You're the one that's going to be the steward over all my household. And so Joseph acted in a way that was godly, and godly character and integrity was seen by Potiphar, but then Potiphar's wife came 
and try to seduce Joseph. And Joseph, still desiring to be pure before God, he said, how can I do this wickedness before my God? And he fled away from the situation, and Potiphar's wife wrongly accused him, falsely accused him of making advances towards her. So he found himself in the pit. He found himself in a dungeon. He found himself in a prison, the Egyptian prison. And do you realize he was in that prison for 12 years? And it says there, as you read those chapters of 39 and, and 40 and 41 of the book of Genesis, Joseph's there in prison. He had done nothing wrong. He had acted very righteously before the Lord. He desired to please the Lord, yet he found himself in that prison. And it says that as he was in prison, that he found favor with God, and it was the warden that said to him, hey, you're going to be the one that's going to take care of the prisoners. I trust you to do that. And he continued to be used of the Lord when he was in prison. Now, being in prison back in ancient times in Egypt, back in the book of Genesis, is a whole lot different than today. I mean, it is dirty. You, you would usually starve to death. You'd get bread and water. There was disease. There was rats. It was damp. It was cold. It was not a good place. And the warden comes along and says, Joseph, you're going to be the one to take care of the prisoners. I guess the warden liked to go play golf or something. I think that's what the text says there in the book of Genesis. So. I'll be fair, guys. Maybe he went out fishing. So... He desired to continue to please the Lord in how he conducted and behaved himself. And think about this. I think if I was in that prison cell, if I wonder if I would have just curled up in the corner and said, Lord, I tried to do what was right. I tried to honor you with my life. But here I am in this prison, and it's not for a couple weeks or a couple months. It's year after year after year. I just wonder how I would have reacted. If I would have stopped trusting God, if I would have stopped praying, if I would have said, forget you guys, I'm not going to minister to you. But Joseph did what was right in the sight of the Lord. The butler and the baker that served Pharaoh would come down. He interpreted a couple of dreams for them. He told the, the butler, hey, remember me when you stand before Pharaoh again. And the butler said, sure, I'll, I'll tell him about you, Joseph. Two more years passed. And all of a sudden, in one day, Joseph's life changed. Because Pharaoh had a dream. And the butler said, oh, by the way, there's, there's a Hebrew down there in prison. He can interpret dreams. So they cleaned Joseph up. He interpreted the dream. And you know what Joseph said? Joseph said that God will interpret the dream. It's nothing to do with me, Pharaoh. And after 12 years, it would have been very, very easy for Joseph to try to manipulate and say, I'm full of wisdom. I got all kinds of psychic powers, you know. You get me out of this prison and I'll interpret the dream. It was Joseph that said, God of heaven and earth will interpret this dream for you, Pharaoh. And as far as he was concerned, he was going to go right back into that prison cell. But instead, he became the prime minister of Egypt. This is so very important for me to be reminded of this in you as well. Because perhaps somebody is here tonight and you feel the, the attacks of somebody or, or maybe somebody is bitter towards you and you don't know why. Maybe there's envy, jealousy that's involved in it. You let the Lord determine how it is that you're going to react and remember that others may try to ruin your reputation but only you can ruin your character. 
and David ministered in godly integrity. And I want to say this again, don't you be involved in somebody else's evil when they are involved in jealousy and envy, wanting to put somebody else down so they can be built up or elevated up or exalted. Don't you get involved in that. Numbers chapter 16, remember that story? There's Moses and Aaron out there in the wilderness and all of a sudden Korah and Dathan and a group of guys come to Moses. Matter of fact, they recruited 250 leaders of the congregation of Israel. And they came to Moses and Aaron, who was Moses' brother, and he's the high priest. And they said to him in Numbers chapter 16, you know what, Moses and Aaron, you guys think you're pretty special, don't you? I mean, Moses, you get to go up on the mountain and receive the law of God, be in the presence of the Lord. And Aaron, you're the high priest, and you get to go behind the veil in the Holy of Holies where the Shekinah presence of God was. They were coming against Moses and Aaron because of jealousy and envy. And Korah, who was a Levite, he had ministry given to him. But he was challenging Aaron for the position of high priest. I want to be the high priest is what he was saying. I'm special too. And so all these guys recruited to do Korah's dirty work and coming against Aaron and Moses. And you know what happened to them? The earth opened up and swallowed those guys up, Korah and Dathan and the 250 leaders of the congregation and their families and a whole lot of people got swallowed up and hurt. And if you have the spirit of jealousy and envy and bitterness and a spirit of rebellion, you're going to get swallowed up. You're going to end up in a pit. And if anybody has that tonight, repent and give it to the Lord and allow Him to just minister His love and forgiveness and grace to you and know this, that God has a plan for you. He sees you. He knows you and He loves you. So here is Saul, this recruiting others to come against David. Jonathan, verse 2, told David, saying, My father seeks, Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. Jonathan, in loyalty to David, warns David be on guard. Isn't it amazing, as I've mentioned this before, as you go through the New Testament, how many times it is told to us as Christians to be on guard. It has the same meaning as take heed. That is, be careful, be watching, be sober, be vigilant. Don't go to sleep spiritually. Don't get sloppy spiritually. Don't become apathetic. Be on guard. Be on guard. And how we as Christians need to be on guard, especially in the day in which we're living in. Because there's so much that can come against us. There's so much that will try to pull us into sin. There's many voices and temptations and worldly pleasures and all of this. Be on guard is what we are told. Be watching. Be careful. Be looking. Take heed is what we are told. Same meaning here. Hey, David, you better be on guard because the enemy, Saul, he's coming against you and we're told we're to watch because the enemy, Satan, is like a roaring lion seeking who may, may devour. He's looking for you to not be paying attention to grow sleepy spiritually. He's looking for this fellowship to become sleepy spiritually. 
You know, I want to share my heart with you tonight. You know what my biggest concern for, for any of us individually, but my biggest concern for this church corporately, it isn't the finances. I know God will take care of the finances. It isn't the numbers. We have less people this week or do we have more people this week? It certainly isn't, do we have enough donuts on Sunday morning? <laughs> you know what? My, the thing that concerns me the most for this congregation is we become complacent. That we come to a place where we just become complacent. Where we're just comfortable and complacent because I know what that will lead to is we become sleepy spiritually. And I hope that we are ones that together we are watching, we are praying, we're seeking the Lord together. We're desiring to move forward in the things of God. I really believe this, folks, that God has so much for this fellowship. He wants to do so much. He is doing so much. And that we would be ones that say, yes, Lord, I want to keep our focus, I want to keep my focus on you and move forward in these things. But may we never just grow complacent and lethargic. Because you know what that produces? It produces a dead church. So may we be on guard and watching. There are people out there that we can minister to and give truth to and love on and give real hope to. Day by day, praying, Lord, how is it that you would have me to minister? Being open to what God has for you today, what he has for us as a congregation in the weeks ahead. Are we praying for who you might invite to Easter service? Are you praying who you might invite this Sunday? Are you praying for the radio program as it goes throughout Weld County Monday through Friday? And I wish I had time to share with you some of the feedback that we're getting. I just got off the phone before service as somebody who heard the radio program for the first time. And they said, it was, it was amazing, that study in Daniel. I'd been going to church all my life and never heard a study like that. People are hungry. People are hurting. And people are confused. It's not the time to become complacent. But be on guard and be watching and be praying and seeing what it is that the Lord, the place he wants to take us and wants us to go. David, you better be careful. Better be careful. Stay in the secret place and hide. We need to stay in the secret place of his pavilion. Hide under the shadow of his wings. And the Lord is going to do amazing things with your life individually and with Calvary Chapel corporately. In verse 3, and I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. Thus Jonathan spoke, verse 4, well of David to Saul his father and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, because his works have been very good towards you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine and and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. Speaking of chapter 17, his victory over Goliath. And then Israel routed the Philistines. You saw it, Dad, you saw it, and you rejoiced. And why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? 
So Jonathan says, Dad, David has blessed you and benefited you and the nation. He has acted righteously towards you. Why are you seeking to kill him? You sin against innocent blood. And it took real courage for Jonathan to say this to his dad because his dad's becoming irrational. And you remember back in chapter 14 that because of Jonathan's faith that the Philistines were being routed because Jonathan would go to the Philistine garrisons and with his armor bearer, and he would say, let's just see what the Lord might do, because nothing restrains the Lord from working. He can save by many or by few. And as Israel's having that victory, as Jonathan, that man of faith, would step out in faith, and as we saw that God used that to bring victory to Israel, that it was Saul that began to become irrational and and, and he made an oath. He said, none of you guys are going to eat until I avenge my enemies. All of a sudden, it became about, all about Saul. None of you guys and those soldiers, as we saw in chapter 14, were very weary from the battle. They were hungry. They were about ready to collapse, faint. Some of them were about ready to die. And it was Saul, because it was all about him, said, none of you guys eat anything until I avenge my enemies, till I say so. And if you do, you will die. Well, we know the story how Jonathan, he ate a little bit of honey. He didn't know that his father made that oath. And his countenance brightened up, and then his father Saul, you know, found out that his son Jonathan had ate a little bit of honey, and he was actually going to kill his own son Jonathan. That's how irrational that Saul was. And we're going to see as we continue traveling through these chapters that he's going to continue to be irrational, even more so. So it took a lot of courage for Jonathan to say, Dad, you were wrong. And why are you doing this? And I think that there's application for us because it takes a lot of courage for you and for me as a Christian to stand up to this world and stand for righteousness and to say, that is wrong. Or to go to an individual out of love and concern for them and say, what you're doing is wrong. And that needs to be our motive. The way that you're going, the way of the world, the sin that you're involved in, it is wrong. And it takes courage for us to do that. But you know what? Courage and love go together. Because we love people of this world. We don't want to see them eternally lost. We don't want to see them going down a road which is wrong, that's going to cause hurt because of that love then courage comes in and we can say, brother, sister, what you're doing is not right. You need to turn away from that sin. You need to turn to the Lord. And it takes real courage for us, the light of the world, to stand in the darkness of this world and to stand for righteousness. So Jonathan here showing that courage as he confronts his father in verse 6, so Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan and Saul swore as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Okay, he swore, but it didn't mean anything. Because deep inside, he wants David dead. And I've said this many times, and I'll continue to say this, but it was in Saul's heart that he sees David as an enemy. He, he has this jealousy and envy and hatred towards David. And you see, what's in your heart will be worked out in your life. And with Saul... It's going to be bad news. 
And a lot of people are going to end up getting hurt. And Saul's going to die a tragic death. He's going to die a bitter man because of this envy and jealousy and hatred and bitterness that he has towards David. And it's bad news. That's why we need to turn away and give it to the Lord. And ask the Lord to take that bitterness and jealousy out of our hearts if, if we feel that towards anyone. Say, Lord, you take it because it will produce its rotten fruit if you don't. And it will consume you. And as I mentioned before, one of the things about jealousy and envy is it takes a lot of energy. It just takes a lot of energy when you are so focused on somebody that you're just thinking about coming against them all the time. So verse 7, then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as times passed. So back together for the moment, I'm sure Jonathan was happy about it. Hey, my best friend and dad, they're together once again. David, I'm sure he's cautious. Saul, he's plotting, because verse 8, and there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from him. Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing music with his hand. Then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence, and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. Same results. David escaped Saul. Now I think if I was in David's sandals at this time, this is the third time Saul has done this, thrown a spear at David. Once, okay. Twice, you're pushing it. Three times, that's it. Three strikes, you're out, Saul. And I think that David at this time could have killed Saul. But again, David, as we're going to see, is going to say, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. I'm going to let God take care of this situation. And that's a difficult thing for any of us. Now, I'm not saying you can't defend yourself. But what I am saying is that when there are those who are coming against you, being rotten to you, you look to the Lord. And you look to the Lord to be your defender. And you act in a godly and wise way, in a way that he would want you to. In verse 11, we see that Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and kill him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. So David, again, as we saw in chapter 18, married Saul's daughter, Michael. And you recall that it was Saul that was happy about that. He said that my daughter, Michael, she'll be a snare to David. In other words, she'll eventually side with me. And she'll probably help me in capturing David and having him be put to death. But here is Michael warning David, you need to go. And, and you need to escape or my father's going to have you killed. So he's let down through a window and he flees for his life. David is on the run now. It reminds me of Paul. He was known as Saul of Tarsus on the way to Damascus there in Acts chapter 9. And there he was converted. And he goes to Damascus. He goes into the synagogue. He's preaching Jesus to the Jews. And they were confounded, but they weren't converted. So they run Paul out of the synagogue. Paul, as you correlate it with Galatians chapter 2, would then go to the wilderness for three years where he's taught by the Lord. He comes back to Damascus. He goes back into the synagogue, and he's preaching Christ to the Jews. This time they want to kill him. So how did he escape? 
through a window over the wall in a basket. And here David, he's being led out of the window and he escapes. And so he fled and in verse 13, Michael took an image and laid it on in the bed and put a cover of goat's hair for his head and covered it with clothes. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. Then Saul sent the messengers back to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed with a cover of goat's hair for his head. So here we see that she makes the bed up like David is sick, this image in goat's hair, and it is to stall the servants of Saul. And they find out that, hey, this is, you know, a trick. In verse 17, Saul said to Michael, Why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? Of course, she lies about that. But notice that Saul is saying, David is now my enemy. So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naioth. So again, Samuel still the spiritual leader at this time. David goes to see him. Verse 19, it was told Saul saying, Take note, David is in Naioth of Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to, to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again a third time, verse 21 tells us, and they prophesied also. Then he also went to Ramah and came to the great well that is at Seku, and he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And someone said, Indeed, they are at Naioth in Ramah. So he went there to Naioth in Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naioth in Ramah. So he also stripped off his clothes. In other words, he stripped off his royal clothes to his undergarments and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and laid down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? So interesting portion of scripture is Saul sends men to where Samuel and David are and the Spirit of God comes upon them prophesying, obviously, to protect David. And then Saul comes himself, and he ends up prophesying. But I want to end with this. Whether you are on one end where you have somebody that's coming against you, you go to the Lord and you give it to the Lord. But also, another good thing to do, David was right in going to Samuel. Samuel, who is a godly man to receive godly counsel. What my prayer is, is that you would feel like that you could go to that godly woman, you can go to that godly man, and you can receive counsel from them. Whenever that you're confused or you're in distress to receive prayer, to receive encouragement, whenever that you feel like that I'm confused or I need just some godly wisdom and counsel, go to that person who knows the scriptures who's going to give you that godly counsel, who's going to point you to God's word because they are giving you truth. David was right in doing this and going to Samuel because Samuel, as we have seen, is such a godly man. I pray that we all have somebody that we can go to. You come here if you need prayer. Give me a call. Sometimes people say, oh, Pastor Jeff, I don't want to give you a call because I know you're busy. Give me a call. Call Pastor Jim. 
You know, look and make relationships with that individual who's going to help you. Maybe that family member that they've been walking with the Lord for a number of years, you can go to them and get godly counsel, but listen and take heed to what they're saying to you. We have the wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ, the word of God that will give you counsel, but other brothers and sisters as well. To be encouragement to you in those times where it seems like troubles and tribulations are pursuing you. So we're going to end there. We don't have time to go into chapter 20, but we're going to see that David's going to continue to flee from Saul as Saul pursues him. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for these important lessons that we're seeing that are given to us. What jealousy and envy and bitterness does. It is so ugly, and it bears its rotten fruit. So I pray for all of us here that none of us, that we would go down that road. And Lord, if there's any of us that have those kinds of feelings or attitudes in our hearts, that right now we would give it to you, Lord. That Lord, that we would say, I've been envious, I've been jealous, I've been bitter, I've been angry. And it has consumed you. And you feel like that you find yourself in a pit of discouragement and defeat. Of just anger. Lord, I pray that we would be ones that we would say, that, Lord, I know that this isn't right. And I confess it right now. And I give it to you right now. Help me, Lord, to get rid of it. That we are to put those things off, as Colossians chapter 3 tells us, and put on tender mercies and kindness. It's a work of the Spirit. Lord, that you would do that work in me. Help me, Lord. 